Today on Act News Daily. These sensors have the capability to give GPS locations along with like body temperature and heart rate of the animal too. So what it did is it was giving us something that we could verify a proof of life. Um, then we had a great partner out of Texas. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored by DPH Biologicals today. To unharness your soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com. And of course, I am Delaney Howell, joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, we are almost to the end of this holiday week. And in honor of Christmas, I'm continuing the holiday spirit here on the podcast with a couple of fun things right off the top of the bat. But uh, Scott sent this email this morning from the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, and I thought it was a fun one to share on the podcast, if you'll indulge me for a moment. All right, Delaney, I'm ready. So, Ashton, there are 10 reasons why Santa Claus could have been a farmer. Are you ready for these? Oh, absolutely. I'm excited. Okay. Well, one is he works all year just to give his stuff away. (laughs) He's good with livestock. He knows how to get by with the same equipment season after season. He works outside, even in bad weather. He's good with kids. His wife is an excellent cook. He could stand to lose a few pounds. He's used to getting in and out of tight spaces. He covers a lot of ground in a hurry when the pressure is on, and he takes care of the needs of the whole world. So I thought that was kind of fun. That is funny. And honestly, quite a few of those do remind me of some of the farmers that I know. Yeah, me too. Maybe not all of them, but definitely some similarities there. And while we're still talking about Christmas, Ashton, my trivia question, or I guess it's not really trivia, but my Christmas question for you today is what is your favorite Christmas movie? I was really hoping that you were going to ask me about movies <laughs> today because if you weren't, I was going to because I just watched my favorite Christmas movie last night. And it is The Grinch. It's my all-time favorite Christmas movie. Honestly, probably even in the top 10 of just best movies of all time. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Well, that is a good choice. Which one did you watch, though? Did you watch the cartoon version? Oh, no. I'm not a fan of that one. I like the Jim Carrey Grinch. Okay. That's a good one. That would probably be my choice, too. And I didn't realize this, but it is 21 years old they made it in 2000 I didn't realize that it was that old I I wouldn't have realized that either well Delaney apart from talking about Christmas of course we're here to talk about some news for today and I had something that I wanted to share with the podcast but I'm also going to put it on our newsletter that's coming out a day early this week it'll be coming out on Thursday And it's talking about nine forces that are going to be shaping the U.S. rural economy in 2022. I won't go into heavy detail, but these nine forces have some umbrellas under them. But some things that people are really watching out for right now is, of course, the global economy and its growth, the U.S. economy when it comes to labor and those kinds of things, but also monetary policy, U.S. government, farm economy, grain, farm supply and biofuels, animal protein, dairy, and rural communications. And like I said, I didn't want to go into complete detail with this just because there is a lot to consider here, but I'm going to be sharing this with those who are subscribed to our newsletter. So folks, if you're interested to see what's going to be happening in 2022, definitely be sure to subscribe. 
Well, Ashton, speaking of things that are going to be happening here in 2022, is the vote on the Biden administration's Build Back Better plan, which addresses a lot of different issues, including climate and social change. But U.S. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has been making some pretty big waves and stating his opinion that he will not be supporting this bill, which is about $1.75 trillion in different spendings. And of course, Congress is heading into recess. They just left town on Sunday morning without voting on the BBB plan. And in a statement Thursday evening, Last Thursday evening, President Biden did express optimism that talks would continue into the new year and eventually lead to an agreement. But Senator Manchin says that there's a lot of reluctance on his front to get behind the legislation that has already grown as inflation has risen to levels not seen in decades. So he's certainly concerned about that, said he's tried to talk to folks as well as the president and uh He said there's a lot of irons in the fire right now that need ironed out first before he is good to move forward on that bill. But certainly seen a lot of opposition there from him as well as others um, in both the House and the Senate. But the, the key here is that U.S. Senator Manchin is a Democrat from West Virginia. So, of course, usually you see them voting in line with their party. And he's been very adamant that he is not uh, going to vote forward on this bill. So certainly something to watch here. After the new year, of course, it's they're not in recess or they excuse me, they are on recess right now as we head into the holiday season, won't be coming back until after the first of the year. So kicking the can down the road a little bit further on this one. You know, Delaney, I saw that piece of news as well. And I think that another thing to kind of add on top of that is there is a little bit of speculation, but he has reportedly been one that does these kinds of things as a form of leverage to get some other things passed or some other other conversations going. So I'm interested to see after the new year kind of what develops there and if he changes his mind, anything like that. But before we get started on our next piece of news, Delaney, I want to remind our listeners that we, of course, are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. So folks, if you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. With that, Delaney, I want to talk about the chicken price-fixing case because it ended in a mistrial late last week. This case has been going on for quite some time now, and a federal judge in Denver failed to reach a verdict. Ten current and former chicken company executives were charged by the U.S. Department of Justice with fixing prices and rigging bids in the U.S. poultry market. This criminal trial began seven weeks ago. And according to foodprocessing.com, a new trial has been already set for October 31st of 2022. So we're not going to have some answers for quite some time. Yeah. And, you know, with COVID too, you never know if that gets pushed out again or not. Certainly a possibility there. But Ashton, while we're talking protein news, I saw this story today and wanted to share it with folks because I know that when I've been traveling at especially producer-focused events, I've gotten a lot of questions from livestock farmers about Prop 12. 
Well, Seaboard Foods took a stand today and said that as the nation's second largest hog producer and pork processor, they will be limiting sales of certain pork products in California due to the Prop 12 measures. The company produces about 7.2 million hogs a year and said that they will no longer sell certain whole pork products into California due to California's Proposition 12. We don't really know what pork products those are and how that will represent the marketplace, but California does represent about 15% of the total U.S. pork market, according to the National Pork Producers Council. So certainly could be an interesting piece of news here as we manage through that Prop 12, which I believe does go into effect uh, starting January 1st, Ashton, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct. That'll go in right there at the first of the year. So going to be keeping my ears to the ground on what really comes of that. I'm surprised that we haven't really heard more from the industry when it comes to Prop 12 as we are really nearing that start. Yes, absolutely. And we're also nearing the start or the end, I should say, to today's podcast episode. What other news do you have for us today, Ashton, before we hop into chat and markets? Well, there is just one other thing that I wanted to talk about today, and it's coming from Smithfield Foods. Earlier during the pandemic, Smithfield had assigned teams of dedicated workers to make changes to social distancing and sanitized surfaces at their South Dakota slaughterhouse, where COVID-19 hit nearly 1,300 workers. But those roles are coming to a halt, according to the company. And it was reported from B.J. Motley, who is the president of United Food and Commercial Workers Union Group, representing those Smithfield workers at that plant, that the plant gradually moved employees who worked as safety monitors to other places. And they're really citing this change as a second nature because COVID-19 safety protocols has really just become part of our everyday. Vaccines are becoming more available to those workers So concerning cleaning, the company said that it is routinely sanitizing for food safety reasons, but they are no longer having these workers specifically for COVID-19 measures. All right. Well, Ashton, as we head into markets today, I had just kind of one more, two more quick tidbits of news here because we've got some good news when it comes to ethanol production. We're finally back in the black, which has all but erased the red days of 2020, but Scott Irwin there at the University of Illinois said that the rapid rapid rise in ethanol profits has brought smiles to ethanol plant operators and said that he thinks profits are here to stay. You know, as we mentioned on the podcast yesterday with Naomi Bloom, she's seen an overwhelming amount of increase in drivers. And I think we're really seeing that all across uh the corn belt into other parts of the U.S., but he said that we're in a rarefied territory for ethanol prices and profits, and it's happened over a really short period of time. But he said what's really interesting is that on August 1st, plants were basically operating at break-even margins, and since then, ethanol prices and profits have gone literally straight up. So certainly a turnaround there for folks producing ethanol, and not so much a turnaround when it comes 
comes to South American weather, we're continuing to see hot and dry conditions playing out now in Brazil as well as South America. And so far, about a third of Argentina's soybean crop and about half of its corn crop have not yet been planted yet because things have been hot and dry. But those portions of the crop that has been planted sounds like it's in pretty decent shape right now. So a lot of analysts are expecting to see or we're expecting to see a lot of adjustments here in South American production moving forward. And markets really kind of shrugged off any sort of Omicron variant news today and continued to push higher in all markets, especially the outside markets today, crude, the Dow, the dollar all trading higher today, which certainly helped the corn and soybean markets continue their strength into Tuesday. And Ashton, that outs, those outside markets certainly helped strengthen the grain markets today, which did finish higher across the board. March corn today up seven and a quarter cent, closing at five ninety eight and a quarter. The May up seven and a quarter, closing at five ninety nine and a quarter. Soybeans had some massive moves today, breaking through that psychological barrier of $13 for the first time in quite some time at their highest uh, since their 200-day moving average. The January contract added 15 and three quarters cents, closing at 13.08. The March up 18, closing the day at 13.12 and three quarters. Wheat was pulled along with the grains today as the March Chicago contract closed 21 and a quarter cent higher, ending at 7.99. And hopping over to look at livestock today, we certainly saw that strength continue. February live cattle up 95 cents, closing at 136.92 and a half. The April up a dollar 17 and a half, closing at 141.35. In the feeder cattle markets, the January contract added a dollar sixty-two today, closing at a buck sixty-eighty-five. The February, the March up a dollar thirty-two and a half, closing at one sixty-one eighty-two and a half. And in lean hogs, that strength continued as the February lean hog contract added two dollars ninety-five cents, closing at eighty-two forty-two. The April up two dollars and seven cents, ending the day at eighty-five fifty-seven and a half. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. The January up a dime today, closing at 19.20. The February up 31 cents, closing at 19.75. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our Tech Tuesday conversation today with Jacqueline Wilson. Today, we are talking to Jacqueline Wilson of Flying Diamond Beef, who has been a part of the podcast before, but this time we're talking about technology. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. So Jacqueline, before we get started here, if our listeners hadn't listened to our previous episode about your operation, can you just give us the rundown, a little bit of a refresher course about what you guys do? Sure. I'm a fifth generation cow-calf producer from Lakeside, Nebraska. Um, my family, it's my dad and I, we have a Red Angus operation here on the western side of the Nebraska Sand Hills. Um, along with that, we started a direct-to-consumer beef business about a year and a half ago called Flying Diamond Beef, which a couple of other partners got in involved in. And so since then, we're, we still continue to take cattle to the big four, but we do direct do some direct marketing also. 
Jacqueline, of course, we're having you on for today's Tech Tuesday interview, although I'm sure you could fill really any gap in our interview slot to talk about your background because your family's ranch is over 133 years old farming Red Angus. And I think it's really interesting, the story of how you got to a point where you realized you needed data to back up what you were claiming to maybe some of these consumers in your direct marketing operation. Can you share that story with our listeners? Sure. I think, you know, looking back on some of the history of the operation, my grandfather was really big on kind of staying ahead of the curve in in terms of the industry in general. I, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid and I used to see some of the old eight, he like a late eight by four note cards that he would write cow information down that he had been collecting for years. And, you know, that that mindset of kind of being on the edge of both of what's going on in the industry and then also thinking outside the box a little has kind of carried on into into my generation. And so that's something that's always been really important here is is being able to know exactly what we have on the place at any time and be able to understand everything that there is to understand about that animal. And I think that's some of the well, especially with what's happened the last year and a half with the pandemic and everything, we're seeing people really want to connect more and more to where their food comes from and 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 also build those relationships with those people that are producing that food. And so we've been able to find some niche markets for us that I think is continuing to not only, you know, allow us to share our story and our history with, with consumers, but at the same time, it's really changed how we are are looking at our operation and some of the things that we've done and, and hopefully has made us become smarter producers too. So Jacqueline, I want to dive into the project that you were a part of a little bit further because you've been working on this for quite some time now. So what was that like? Can you just kind of take us through what it was that kind of attracted you to being a part of this project? Well, I think any time over the last couple of years, especially that we've had the opportunity to get involved in any kind of tech project, you know, whether that's been a genomic project or looking at bionomes in females for reproductive traits to, to, you know, even doing something as crazy as we did this year, which is becoming the first cattle operation in the world to actually put a set of NFT steers on blockchain. And, and so I think it's kind of establishing some of those partnerships and being a, being a um, I like to think of it as an outside the box thinker that tech companies are wanting to approach in some of the things that they do. Um, we've been approached by a number of tech companies this last year and looking at everything from, you know, computer software to to um, like the virtual fencing. And so I think it's just some of those stepping outside of the box. So the project that you're talking about is on June 7th, we actually put a group of feedlot steers onto blockchain. Um, we uh, were able to go in, work with a couple great partners on this, the first step that we did is, is we chose these steers based off of their genomic testing for tenderness that we did with a partnership that we have with Neogen. And once we were able to hand select those steers, um, they all carried a, a Neogen has a one to 10 scale on tenderness and all of these steers were seven and above. And that was the only trait that they were specifically selected on for this test. Um, along with that, on, on June 7th, we had a company out that's based in Australia called Livestock Labs, and they have what they call an embedded vet sensor. And we had a veterinarian surgically implant those sensors underneath the scan in front of the shoulder. 
um, right there in that BQA triangle. These sensors have the capability to give GPS locations along with like body temperature and heart rate of the animal too. So what it did is it was giving us something that we could verify a proof of life. Um, then we had a great partner at a Texas called Plain Sight. They came in and did biometric algorithms on these steers or in, in, in simple in simple form, uh, facial recognition. And so they used pixel points on those steer heads um, when we had them caught in the silencer in order to kind of verify that steer is the same who we say it is. And then we actually put all these cattle on a, on a new company program that's just coming out right now called Cattle Proof. And so then that way, um, people can go in and they can purchase these tokens for these steers. And in exchange for actually purchasing a token, unlike unlike some of these crazy NFT things that are going on right now, they actually get a quarter of beef all the way up to a whole animal. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a really interesting project. Um, and we definitely have learned a lot over the last couple of months. So all of that it sounds extremely interesting. It almost sounds like something out of like a sci-fi movie, just because there's <laughs> so many different things to take into consideration there. But one thing that I definitely want to expand on is that NFT part, because I am new to NFTs. I hardly know anything about them. So can you just expand on that and maybe why creating an NFT for each animal is beneficial? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't feel bad. I'm I'm still a novice in that area too. It's it's a whole other world out there that I'm. It's kind of almost beyond my realm of understanding. But NFT stands for non fungible token, and what it does is it gives us the ability to give a unique digital identifier to each animal. And so, so by in our case, what we were doing was we were using a combination of the genomics of that facial recognition and then also of that implant and sensor. And so it was giving us proof without a shadow of a doubt that that animal was exactly who we said that animal is. And so that, that, information from that animal will follow with that token, that NFT, all the way through to harvest. And then whoever ends up buying that token gets that data too. And so it's one of the ways, I think, especially the last year and a half, you know, I'd seen a lot of producers coming out and marketing their beef or just just companies in general. And they would say, you know, it's ranch raised, it's homegrown, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this. But a lot of time we forget if, if a consumer asks, well, can you prove it? We might have a really difficult time actually being able to prove it besides saying, well, yes, because I mean, we just we just know it was raised here on our ranch and it hasn't left. But at the end of the day, it's still kind of really tough to be able to prove that. So there's a lot of big companies now, such as like Walmart with their prime pursuits program, you know, that it, it really becomes at the end of the day, a liability issue. And so, you know, we kind of wanted to get in front of the curve as a, as a small producer, you know, that was doing a direct to consumer program in order to say, Hey, this is legitimately without a shadow of a doubt, the animal that we say it is. And this, and this, and this is how we can back it up. Well, let's take a quick break here for just a second, Jacqueline, because we've got to hear a quick message from our sponsor. If you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. So Jacqueline, I just want to clarify, I've got a lot of questions, but um, just for my understanding, basically you came to your different 
partners and said, I want to create this NFT, let's do it? Or did they already have that technology in place and you were just utilizing things they'd already built for your own ranch? So really cool deal. So Neogen and the genomics, we've partnered with Neogen now for, I think this is the second or third year that I've had a partnership deal with Neogen. So we kind of worked them into this project, but otherwise um, the people that were mostly behind the project, which was the, the founders of Cattle Proof, they came to the other business partner that's in involved in flying diamond beef because um, they've been working on some other things together and said, this is, this is the project that we have, you know, we're looking for a progressive producer out there that might be interested in being a part of this project. And if she goes, well, let me visit with Jacqueline, but I doubt there's, there's, there's probably no doubt that she won't want to get involved since she's always trying to think of new, you know, new technology that will really help us out. So it was something that we were approached with, and then they kind of started adding more partners along the way as we we developed a real need for certain areas. I mean, all the way up to, you know, we added a, a partner here just about a month and a half ago that's trans that has the ability to transfer anything that's paid in cryptocurrency over mm-hmm. into U.S. dollars. And so something so simple you know, that you wouldn't even think about. You find a need for along the way as a project's developing. So like I said, it's been a really crazy learning experience the last couple of months, but we've got so many great people on board that are really helping us out that it's made it worthwhile. And so Jacqueline, with those cattle that you've ran through the NFT, I'll call it a program for lack of better terms, have you actually been through the point of harvest and send that data out to consumers? And if so, what was their feedback? So we processed um, half of them on December 7th and the remaining half went to the processor on December 14th. Um, so right now those NFTs are currently just, um, they they will actually start getting fabricated around that first week of January. And then that's when I'll go and pick them up and start delivering them to not only the purchase, purchasers of those tokens, but you know, um, people within our direct program that are purchasing too with, without that novelty idea in mind. Um, so we have we are working with a new processing facility that just opened up in Torrington. It's a smaller USDA plant there because that was also one of the things of the project. We wanted to make sure that we could get those implants back, those sensors that we were utilizing. And so they've been really great to work with on them. Um, so right now it's in the works. Um, so we'll be interesting to see what the, you know, what those buyers of those tokens, um, we are getting some of them sold and see what they have to say when the beef is actually delivered on their doorstep. So Jacqueline, sounds like this has been a really interesting project and somewhat of a success, although maybe it's a little too early to tell, but what plans do you have for continuing to use this NFT technology in the future? You know, I think I think there's a place for it. I, I really do. You know, it's going to be. I, I'm I'm almost more interested in using the sensors myself um, and continuing to work with a lot of the sensors and biometrics, just because I think it's it's definitely the way that the industry is going and being able to have being able to prove without a shadow of a doubt that you have what you say you have. Um, so I think there's definitely a place for it. It's trying to find a place for it where your ROI is going to be beneficial. You know, I mean, I, there's, you know, that that's the nice part about kind of being in some of these projects is a lot of times there's not an up, a huge upfront cost for us until, you know, we start thinking about how can we continue to implement these into our operation. So if I see that there's going to be a, a demand for this, um, I will continue to do some NFT steers, but I don't know where at this point, if it's something that we're going to turn our entire direct 
program over into NFT steers because there's still a lot of people out there that that are just okay with buying with buying beef from Wilson Ranch. Well, Jacqueline, it's certainly been interesting to get to know a little bit more about what you guys are doing. We're definitely going to be keeping an eye out on any news that comes from this because it certainly is interesting. But thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Great. Thanks, guys. Sure. Appreciate it. And again, a big thank you there to Jacqueline for coming on and chatting about that really interesting technology, pretty high tech stuff there that they're doing. But I think as we chatted a little bit with Jacqueline about afterwards, the consumers to some extent are demanding this, but do they have the dollars to support it is the big question, because we forgot to ask this on the interview, but Jacqueline shared with us off the air that they're charging anywhere from two to two and a half times premium on, you know, these quarter or half pounds, half portions of the cattle that they're selling. So certainly consumers that are paying a little bit of a hefty premium here, but we'll certainly stay tuned with them to see how that journey goes. You can stay tuned with us to see how our journey is going on social media by following us at Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton had to dip out early, so let's let the people go.